Hey, 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 hey. Everybody calm down. We're about to get the show started. No need to get out of hand. Coming to you right now. Experience Strength and Hope from Tony the Man. All right, we're back again. This is Tony Lemire, Tony Lemire T, to bring you more of Experience, Strength, and Hope, a podcast that will uplift you, strengthen you, encourage you, and give you visions for tomorrow. And we want to work on those goals, those little bitty goals first. You know, sometimes we try to stretch it way out, but let's work on some of those short-term goals, those small things that we need to do and get taken care of so we can accomplish the big thing. This is Experience, Strength, and Hope, and today I hope that you enjoy every word that you hear, everything that you hear. I hope it inspires you and encourages you. I want to thank you again for listening to me on Spotify, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Continue to listen to those and support me by liking it, subscribing it, following it, thumbs up or thumb down. Just let me know that you're there. Those things help us to stay on top. Again, I'm Tony Lemire and enjoy our show. This is it, the month of February. It's dedicated to black history or African-American history. It's set aside for you to learn. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, which um, this was a special month for us in school. Uh, Not that we wasn't getting taught things throughout the year, but during the month of February, we got to act out some of these things, write papers about some of the things, see movie about um, these things that were being taught. And what we would do is that come February, we would watch films, read books, uh, go to museums in Chicago um, that, or the DeSabo Museum, which is set there for African-American history and for us to learn about African-American history because a lot of these things would not be brought to light unless we had this month. So a lot of people say, well, why don't you have a Black History Month? I don't see a White History Month or whatever, but you have... You're looking at us different as a color, but we are a people. Look at us as a people and not just as a color. You look at the Mexicans and Italians, they have months, they have days, they have celebrations. Jewish, Polish, I could go on. Chinese, Japanese have different holidays and different months and different times set aside for them. But these are things that we don't want you to forget. We want to use this month just to reflect on Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass and um, Rosa Parks, but so many other people who played a role in this. And it started way before them. You know, the history is starts in Africa. If you want to talk about African-American history, 
a black history. Let's go back to Africa and talk about why we are here in the first place and how we got here. The reason that we were brought here in the first place. That's some of the history that needs to be taught. The, the things that took place to bring us here. The middle passage, the thousands of lives that were lost from Africa to America. Understand this. I mean, you got to look at it like this. As a nation, we have not acknowledged our history of racial injustice. We just haven't. We look over these things and we bring African-American history to light by looking at some of the pioneers and what they have done, which is great. I've loved that. But let's go back to the history way back and think about that. Let's think about the racial injustice and the legacy of slavery and racial terror and uh, legally supporting abuse of racial minorities. You know, people, all these things that have been taking place over the years. We were a abused people. And you don't want to turn your back on that. But let's bring light to it. So, I mean, let's, let's go back a little. Let's just look here. I mean, like, getting in the 17th century, I mean, millions of African people, our people, were kidnapped enslaved and shipped across the Atlantic to America under terrible, horrific conditions. Show these things. Her, horrific conditions. You, you know what it makes me think about? In the movie uh, Schindler's List, they showed that to the T. They showed the graphic parts of what had taken place and what happened to the Jews. They showed these things to remind you of history that we like to turn a blind eye to. I mean, it was nearly two million people died at sea during the agonizing journey, during this journey back and forth. Almost two million people died. Can you imagine that? And for the next two centuries, the enslavement of black people in the United States created wealth, opportunity, Prosperity for millions of America. This is what the enslavement of black people did. It helped build this nation. We helped build this nation and capitalize off of African-American slave. And listen to this. In the South, where the enslavement of black people was widely embraced, resistance to ending slavery persists for another century after the 13th Amendment passed in, in 1865. Today now, 150 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, very little has been done to address the legacy of slavery and the treatment of African people. Very little. Um, some don't even know that in places like Montgomery, Alabama, which by 1860 was the capital of domestic slave trade in Alabama. Montgomery was known for this as the capital for slave trade, for slavery and racial uh, injustice and, and, and the mistreatment of African people and African-American slaves that were in Alabama. During the Reconstruction and the, uh, probably about the, um, what was that, after the Civil War period, 12-year uh, period um, following the Civil War, um, we still face terror. We still face lawlessness and violence and uh White leaders created, you know, a group of racial hatred and white supremacy under the Jim Crow laws. And so this this thing, you know, you can go from slavery to freedom, but it still was uh, injustice being done to African-Americans. When we were free, we still was unjustly treated. 
You're free, but what do you have after that? You still have to work under the same conditions that you were in before just to have your family be able to eat and survive. And just look at this. Even racial terror of lynching of black people through those white mobs between the years of 1865 and 1876, there were thousands and thousands of people attacked, sexually assaulted, and terrorized by white mobs and individuals that were there to continue to place this thing of hatred and injustice on black people. So yeah, uh, slavery had ended, but the injustice continued. After this, you know, you're free, but the exploitation of black labor was still taking place in the South and other places also. Now, I watched some of the uh, uh, the movie on Emmett Till and his mother uh, last week and week before. And I, like I said, some of it, because a lot of things like that, I, I don't like to watch because I've heard and seen and read so much about it. A lot of people haven't. But in high school, we did, elementary school, we did know who, I mean, I'm from Chicago, so yeah, we knew who Emmett Till was, but we never knew the terror that was brought to people in the South through lynching. Didn't know that you couldn't walk down the street and look a white woman and a white man in the face. You gotta get it off the street. I didn't know that. Some of these things were taking place in the 60s when I still was a child. So this, this lynching or lynch mob of African-Americans was terrorism to me. And it was a widely known thing that was taking place and it was used to enforce uh, subordination and segregation. It was used for that. If you were against some of these things and you didn't adhere to some of the principles that were set before you, then you could be lynched. You could be terrorized. Your house could be burned just for standing up for what you believe in. Now, you know, a lot of times you think about, you know, those lynch mobs and the Ku Klux Klan and who these people were, but a lot of uh, the lynch mob then included elected officials and prominent citizens in the community. These were white people who celebrated not only just arresting black people, but celebrated torturing and killing black people. Elected leaders and prominent people did this. Time after time, they would have postcards and uh, picture postcards to mail uh, with, uh, and with, oh, it seems hard to say that, picture postcards of, of hanging corpse, of body parts as souvenirs, some of them killed. Body part. Can you imagine this? People doing this? And the hatred and the terror, you tell us to move on, forget about it. Can't you put that in the past? Some people need to learn this. In order for us to change, we must first realize and acknowledge what happened in the past. Now, the Equal Justice Incentive has documented that 4,084 racial terror lynchings in 12 southern states between the end of the Reconstruction in 1877 to 1950. Let me tell you something, 1950 was not that long ago. They also said that at least 800 more lynchings, they also documented that it was even more than 800 more lynchings had taken place in these states than previously reported. Can you imagine that? So it's about, so just look at this. It's about 4,800 or more 
lynchings that had taken place. Even though a lot of these lynchings were documented in newspapers, many of them were unreported or racial terror, unreported racial terror had took place and the victims were unknown. So it was a lot of them that the victims were never known. They just came up missing. They weren't there anymore. So we go through these steps of from, from uh, being brought over here uh, uh, against our will and then being sold on the auction block, placed in a slavery, released from slavery, now you're facing segregation and lynch mob. So how do we continue to keep this, these people, this people? It's, it's like they're uh, coming up with, okay, we, we did this thing, so what can we do next? We had them in slavery, they had a slave. We're lynching them, uh, and now we're not lynching them. So what can we do now? And it came to the point of segregation. Keep them s separate from us. Make certain rules. They can't go here. They can't go there. They can't use this. Can't do that. This is white only. This is not for blacks. That ugly, ugly word. Segregation. The story of American civil rights movement is incomplete without us knowing some of the things that have taken place in the past. We honor every person that were a pioneer to help to bring light to injustice, but we also want you to know why they were doing it. You always say Martin Luther King marched for black people. Uh, this person did this for black people, but why did they have to do it? Because of things that had taken place over 200 years before they were even born. I mean, today, more than ever, we need to acknowledge that most of white America supported segregation. Only a small minority of white people actively spoke against this widespread thing called segregation. The majority of them was for it. Did you know that? Yeah. And you want us to forget this. Down at the uh, uh, Equal Justice Initiative uh, Museum, you can only look at it, you can also look at it rather, online experience of their legacy museum which showed footage from segregation era that how millions of white Americans beat, bombed, terrorized civil rights demonstrators, including children during that time. So you can see this online. It's there for you. I mean, it's not to the point that we don't uh, have it documented out there. It's just some people just want to look at it. Some people don't know that it's there. It's not a part of history. It's not in your history book. It's not being taught in your school. So we continue. It continued all the way from racial injustice, segregation, or don't let me forget slavery at the beginning. And then you come up to uh, quite a bit of what happened when I was young and growing up of being the, uh, of the presumption of guilt, you know, already have it over your head knowing that black men are nearly six times more likely to be incarcerated than white men and Latino men are nearly three times as likely to be incarcerated. And Native Americans are incarcerated at more than twice the rate of white America. Now, these are uh, uh, statistics by the Brule of Justice. Uh, so you can look that up. You can, you can look at some of those things. Up. But, you know, growing up in... The city that I grew up in, I was not in the South, but I was in the city. And people, and it had been reported, Chicago is one of the biggest segregated cities there is. 
It's more segregation in Chicago than it is in the South. And I, you know, I grew up. It didn't, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that I just, you would say, oh, this is up here, north, way up here. That's where all the white people live or out uh, western suburbs, northern suburbs out here. It's a white area or the Hispanic in the east, you know, lower east area of Chicago, you know, what little bit of the East that we have over in exchange and commercials over there, you know, and, and Italians in their area, you know, and Bridgeport areas, you know, you had different areas. But when you look at it now, they were all separate. You had the South Side and certain communities where it was mainly blacks. And when blacks infiltrated other areas, the white people left. There's more we of us migrated and wanted better housing, better education for our children, we would come in and they would leave. We wasn't bringing nothing evil in there, but it's the history that has made us to be the enemy, a bad seed. Black people are not a bad seed, but history has caused these things to take place from time after time, year after year. I feel for some of my brothers and sisters that have to go before the justice system, finding a court-appointed lawyer because you can't afford it. But somebody say you were at a place, a certain place at a certain time. I mean, understanding how today's criminal justice crisis is rooted in our country and our country's history of racial injustice requires us to truthfully face the history and the legacy of the past. So we're challenging you to look at these things and study these things. When it comes to injustice, I know firsthand how it can be, how you can be even profiled. In one of my first podcasts, I talked about my 15 minutes of fame with the Chicago Police Department. And what that was about was me driving to Chicago, my wife and I, nine, ten hours, no sleep, worked all day, got on the highway to go to Chicago. We're going to help out a loved one who was possibly going to lose their kids to the state. And before we let the state take care of them, they go into state custody and foster care, we decided that we would take care of them. They asked and we said yes. We'll take them back to Kansas with us. Wow, this person got this stuff on their feet. And so we communicated with the Department of Children and Family Services back and forth. Had letters, had to sign. So we jumped in the car to go up there and get these children and an area on 43rd, 45th and Federal, Robert Taylor's home, Robert Taylor Homes around the projects where I never really visited. Never went around the projects when I was a kid. I had a young lady that was my girlfriend when I was a freshman that lived there, and I would ride to the bus with her when she would leave my house, and we would leave from uh, different types of events in the city, and she would say, don't get off here. Stay on the bus till you go down a little bit farther, then transfer, then you turn around and go home. But I would ride to let her off and stay on the bus just because she told me, you don't want to get off around here. They don't know you and you don't know them. And they're going to know that you're not from around here. And so 
That's what I did. So when we went to pick these children up, a little bit of fear was in my heart because I say, this is the area that you have heard about so many years on TV, on the news. I'm not talking about on a show on TV, but I'm talking about on the news, night after night, things taking place in the projects. You got 18-story tall buildings that stretch from 39th Street or Persian Road along State Street and the Dan Ryan from 39th Street to 54th Street. That's how they were. 18-story tall. You had Stateway Gardens around there, also uh, Dearborn Homes uh, and other uh, projects around there that I don't know. But I remember the Robert Taylor Homes. And I said 18-story. It was either 18, 16, something like that, stories tall. And uh, it was more than 28 buildings, almost 4,500 units or apartments that stretched from 39th to uh, 54th Street, um, whatever that was, 54th Street, over 4,500 units. At its peak, there were over 27,000 people living in the Robert Taylor home. 27,000 people. And the census reported it as the sixth poorest area or population found in the United States. So, I mean, you take that into consideration. I mean, it was set there uh, mostly for uh, households that were single parents or female heads of household that um, they say averaged less than $50,000 per year. No, I'm sorry, that averaged less than $5,000 per year. 96% of the people that lived in this concrete jungle were African Americans. Some of the buildings were scarred with fires that were starting. They would never replace the, you go past, and I remember going past the building, you can see wood parts, parts of the building scorched or wood covering windows where it was a fire. And instead of replacing that unit or fixing that unit, they just boarded up and those people were out of the home. They were known to have dark hallways and no lighting in a lot of the areas. The, uh, um, Elevators not working, have to walk up those 16 stories and everything. So, and walk, walk up those 16 stories. Uh, it was a high percentage of gang violence and drugs in that area. You know, the Chicago Housing Authority estimated that $45,000 in drug deals took place daily. Did you hear what I said? Daily. And $45,000 daily took place in the Robert Taylor home. Tell you something else about it. Uh, and over the weekend, they usually could have up to 300 separate shooting incidents over the weekend. That was the highest that they had, over 300 separate shooting incidents. 28 people killed during the same weekend. Over 28 people were killed over the same weekend in the Robert Taylor home. So you talk about crimes. The police did not enforce crime like they could have. It was hard. You look at it. And I, I'm not blaming the police, but how hard could it be to enforce some of this stuff in housing projects that were 16 stories tall and stretched for blocks and blocks and blocks? You just couldn't do it. So knowing this, some of this, and hearing about a lot of this, when I decided to go up there and visit, 
uh, should I call it a visit? When I to take care of business with my wife, we were coming down the street. We we're coming there, and there was a lot of guys in the streets, and he had on like these brown baggy clothes and big jackets. You know, it was a colder time. I don't remember what month it was, but I remember it was cold. And they had on the big clothes, and they, and they looked like game bangers to me. What I thought game bangers were or looked like. And as I came around, I was driving a brand new Ford Thunderbird, two-door white Thunderbird. I was coming around them, and one of them hand bumped my mirror because my wife seen them in the middle of the street. She said, go around, Tony. Don't stop. Go around. We didn't know what was about to take place. And one of them turned around, and his hand bumped my mirror, and he just, get out of here. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. Stop. Stop. And guns came from everywhere. And I'm telling you, I was terrified. I've never been so afraid in my life. They told us to get out the car. And when I went to open the door, they snatched the door open. When they seen a lock come up, grabbed me around my neck. They take their forearm. One of them took his forearm. This is a tactic I've seen before. And wedged you in between the door or the roof of the car where the door is with the forearm almost in a choking motion while the other one had his nine millimeter pointed inches away from my face. On the other side, one had the nine millimeter pointed for my wife, pointed to my wife. I said, you tried to run us over. What are you doing? What are you, what are you up here for? You tried to run us. What are you trying to get away from? Because my wife told me, go, Tony, go. When I first, when, when they were first coming out to the car and they jumped in front of the car, so I stopped. And they were like, what are you, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, going off, cussing at us, yelling. Everybody's hollering at once and we're saying nothing because we're terrified. And I finally told them, hey, look in the car, look in the car. I remember we had those papers from DCF. I'm pointing them, look in the car. They want to know what we're here for. Look in the car. And they started going through stuff, rumbling through the car. And they found the papers from DCF and was reading them and looked at them, told us, oh, we're sorry. It's just that a car like this was in a shooting earlier around here. How many times have we heard that before? You know, whether it's on TV, the news, or in real life, a relative telling you that. And at this point, I just want to get out of here. I just want to go. I didn't know they were police until I looked down and one of them had a badge around his waist. And then they identified themselves as police. First thing first, they never identified themselves as the police. So we're wondering why these people got guns on us. Why are they trying to shoot us? Why are they choking me? Why? We didn't know they were police. And in our mind, this is 1990s. The police wouldn't do this to us. This is not happening. No, because America says it's only a few bad apples out, out there. So these must have been the bad apples, the few that America is talking about. But no, why? Why us? Is it because of the area that we were in? I think so. Is it because of the color of our skin? Yes, I think so. Did it have something to do with the car? Yes, I think so. Nobody was driving the car around there like that. A lot of the people in the projects didn't even have a car. If you ever looked around the Robert Taylor home, there's not a lot of parking spaces in the parking lot around these projects. They're gone now, but it wasn't. You could look at them online. There wasn't parking, big parking lots to house these 16-story uh, tall units. So a lot of people didn't have a car. So why us? T 
terrorizing us. Almost like a lynch. So it ended just as quickly as it started. It may only was minutes, a few minutes, but it seemed like hours. But it ended quickly. Started quick, ended quick. They said, okay, go. And um, it was some, what I can remember, it was some older ladies sitting outside one of the buildings saying, leave those people alone. They ain't do nothing. Why y'all messing with them? They knew we wasn't from around there. They knew we hadn't did anything. Why couldn't the police couldn't know that? Just because they wanted to stop us in this car, make sure we weren't drug dealers coming around there, have a reason to stop us, purposely bump my mirror. Some of these things are old tactics that's being brought to life years and years and years later for reasons that they found to lynch a black man years ago. They found reason to stop a black man, to harass a black man, to terrorize a black man and his wife. Good part of the story is that we end up getting the children, brought them back to Kansas. That was the good part. But it made me never want to go home again. My family, I didn't even see my mother that day. We got the kids, went to DCF, got right on the highway. I only stopped to get gas and maybe a sandwich at the gas station or something like that. But I didn't have to worry about being sleepy because I was still rehearsing all this in my mind. I said, Tony, you could have been dead. How would you have explained it? How would I have explained it? Now, we're talking about times when they didn't have cell phones to be record this. They didn't have little cameras outside the buildings to record this and catch it from a store across the street. There were no cameras. All it was was my word against your word. This was not being filmed. The police did not have body cameras back then. And these were undercover police anyway. You know, they were playing clothes. like the drug task force or gang task force. I don't know. But they didn't have cameras then. So what if something would have happened to us? How would we would have proved it? And how would we prove our right against their wrong? Our word against their word. That's injustice that we would have faced or probably would have faced if something would have went wrong there. As I end this, I just want to bring you to light on a small part of what took place, what I call my 15 minutes of fame with the Chicago Police Department. I did get back to Kansas, contacted the police station. I had to dial numerous, like I said, with no cell phones, so you dialing and looking in phone books and trying to get numbers uh, through information and everything like that. And I finally got through the Office of Professional Standards, what they used to have, and reported it, but nothing ever happened. They said they could not identify them. You don't have their name. Can you describe them? Oh, man, when it's fear in you, it's hard to describe. I could describe kind of what they had on, but I didn't ask them their name. You didn't have see a badge number. They weren't in uniform. So, I mean, you could comment, leave comments on this and tell me what you would have done. What would you do? What should we have done different? Obviously, it's race, race not involved. That's just, a you know, one of a, one of a kind of thing that happened. And I put that on the same line as people saying a few bad apples. Don't you know... That it was documentaries, movies, and articles printed about the corruption in cities like Chicago and Detroit and New York and Cali and uh, um, New York City and Los Angeles. You know, these cities. That's just only a few from about police corruption. 
police brutality? About crooked police? I know we heard for years when we grew up that the police would stop drug dealers and take, take their drugs and take their money and only let them sell a little bit of here. Whatever they sold, they had to pay off the police. You heard about that for years, but you never really phantom in your mind about how true this was and how widespread it was throughout the city on the south side or west side or whatever side it was on. So I tell you, our past has to be brought to light because we are still facing some of these things in present time. And in our future, we may have to face them. So why not bring light to some of these things that we have encountered over years and say, yeah, we might have been wrong. We didn't know that. If you don't educate yourself on some of these things that took place for far as segregation and uh, slavery and lynch mobs, then you will never believe it. You can read it for yourself. So the same teaching that they have in these history books about Christopher Columbus and George Washington put us in there and tell our story. I thank you so much for listening to me and let's enjoy this Black History Month by learning history. Thank you for listening to another episode of Experience, Strength, and Hope. Come back and continue to listen on any of our other platforms such as YouTube, Spotify, Anchor.fm, and Apple Podcasts. We encourage you to not only listen, but also reach out and share your stories of experience, strength, and hope at bigdog0862 at gmail.com or 785-307-4662. I'm Anthony Timms, and this has been another podcast of Experience, Strength, and Hope from Tony DeMayer Timms. Be blessed, be strong, and most of all, be real.